I'm going to read a verse that's in your notes and in your Bibles from 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, uh, right after Romans. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 8. It says, Now he that planteth, he that watereth are one. Every man shall have, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Then it says this, for we are laborers together with God. Can you say that last phrase with me in verse number nine? We are laborers together with God. Let's pray. Lord, we are laborers with you. We are doing your work. We don't want to do it in our own power. We want to do it with the motivation we have to serve you through your grace, through your power. We pray that you would use this time around your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that it would be something that would encourage us, but Lord, that it would um, really spur us to greater faith. And we pray that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have heard the story about the two boys who were in the kitchen while their mother uh, made breakfast. And as she was making pancakes and the smell and the aroma filled the kitchen, the boys started to argue about who would get the first stack of pancakes. And the mother, knowing that this was going to provide some conflict, she did what moms are best at doing. And she tried to be a cook and a referee at the same time. And so she was telling the boys, hey, uh, Jesus would want you to put others first. And they obviously wanted the pancakes first. The older older boy thought about that statement about Jesus putting others first. And he looked at his younger brother and he said, it's your lucky day. Today, I'm going to let you be like Jesus. And he took the pancakes and ate them first. I think sometimes we, we get in a mindset that if we're first, we're winning. The reality is in the kingdom of God, uh, those that put themselves first actually suffer loss. There's actually a a study that was done recently about self-centered behavior in relationships. And it just points what we all know. know. It points us to, to wanting to put ourselves in the center of our universe. And everything seems to fall apart when that happens. Last week, we talked a lot about the vision that God has for your life. And the vision that he has for your life is for you to put his priorities in the right order. And a lot of people say to me, Probably the most thing that people say to me is, uh, that, that I hear the most is that I'm not perfect. And that's obvious, right? We're all not perfect. But then something else that's said a lot, and I've maybe said this, maybe we say this subconsciously as Christians, we often say, well, I'm not Jesus. Who do you think I am? I'm not Jesus. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to, you know, live a sinless life. And, and I get that we are all in process. How many of you are thankful you don't have to be perfect, right? But, but I want to tell you this that when we make that statement, oftentimes we don't follow it up with the goal. And, and Paul talked about the fact that he wasn't perfect. And in Philippians 3 and verse 12, it says, not as though I'd already attained. Listen, I have not arrived, Paul says. I have not attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. And, and he, what is he following after? He's following after, verse 12, Jesus Christ. In fact, he says, brother, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of 
Christ, God in Christ Jesus. Now, when he said he was pressing toward a mark, the mark was not him. The mark was not his pastor. The mark was nothing but Jesus Christ. So although we're not perfect, the vision is to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the mark we're pressing toward. That's the goal. That's the vision for our life. So oftentimes we can, we can take the imperfection, we can take our past, and it can hinder us from what God wants to do in the future. So let me encourage you, don't allow what is behind you, good or bad, wins or losses to keep you from stepping into what is before you. Don't, don't, don't let the past, he says, listen, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm pressing forward to those things which are before. And so uh, a vision without a plan, man, it, it's, it's just pointless. It's, it's just a wish, right? You have a vision without a plan and you're just, you're just writing stuff on paper but I think it's really important for us to remember that that was last week. We talked all about the vision and, and God's vision for you and God's vision for our church. But a plan without a team is just a dream. Listen, you can plan all the things you want, but if you don't have people to do it and, and people willing to rally around that plan and that vision, then it's pointless. And so today we're going to go a step further from the vision that God has for our life. We're going to talk about the teamwork, the people he puts around us. And we're specifically talking about the body of Christ. Now, what do we mean by the body of Christ? Well, in 1 Corinthians, where we're at, the same book, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, for as the body is one and hath many members, all members of that one body, he's talking about your, your physical body, okay? You have uh, fingers that are hopefully attached to your hand, okay? And, and you have, you know, arms and legs, and those are all attached. And by the way, if a body is spread out. It's called a crime scene. I mean, that's gory. It's not, it's meant to be together. It's these things function when they're connected. Same thing in the body of Christ. And that's what he says. In fact, he says, uh, one body being many. Okay. So also is Christ. So the body of Christ in verse 27, he says, you or, or ye it's plural are the body of Christ and members in particular. So you are a member in the body of Christ. You are a part of this team that we call the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly of believers. And he, and he references it as a body. And so I want to, I want to give you three parts to our teamwork in the body of Christ. I think this would be an encouragement to you straight from our text here in first Corinthians three. I want you to notice that our mission brings unity. Now, I don't know if there's one thing that is needed more in our society uh, than unity. And focusing on unity will not bring it. I don't care how many commercials you do where, you know, we got to come together and, and, and there will still be disunity. How many of you have noticed that there's been more and more disunity in our world? I mean, it's just craziness. But as the body of Christ, listen, our unity does not come from us talking about our unity our unity comes from our mission. Our mission brings unity. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth was, was an incredible church in an incredible area. In fact, we have a picture of Corinth. Uh, it's a beautiful area uh, there in, um, in Greece, but it's near Athens, and, and, and the Athenian people and the Corinth people were very similar. In fact, 
Corinth, uh, we might have another picture, it was known for its great architecture, but it was also known for its incredible uh, culture. In fact, people from Rome would go to Corinth on vacation, much like people from Chicago are coming to LA for vacation. You say, why would you go to LA for vacation? If you've ever lived in Chicago, you know why people come to LA. I grew up about two hours outside of Chicago, two and a half hours outside of Chicago in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And every time someone talks about the cold or the wind, I do a little inward chuckle, all right? You have no idea how good it is in LA County until you go somewhere like Chicago, Illinois or Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I mean, the weather is next level. So this is a place people wanted to come. This was a place of culture. This was a place of philosophy, but they had one big issue. And that is they could not separate their philosophy from their philosophers. They were so outward driven. They were so people driven that when Apollos, who was a really good orator, when he stood up, who was a, a, a preacher, a pastor there in uh, Corinth who took over for Paul, when he stood up and preached, oh my goodness, they were like, that's great. And they loved Paul because Paul started and, and planted and, and led many of them to Christ. But, but they were so tied into the personalities, they were missing the principles. They were missing what God would have. And so Paul in verse number six, look at verse number six of first Corinthians three. He says, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Can we say that? Cause that's a really important statement. I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Who gave the increase? God gave the increase. So Paul's saying, listen, it's not about who watered verse seven or who planted it's God that gives the increase. He says it twice because it's twice as important for them to get this now than even before. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're unified. What are they unified around? They're unified around their mission, around what they're doing for Christ. Every man shall receive his own reward, he says. So listen, your reward is not is not tied to how many people like you or how many people follow you or how much wealth you've amassed or, or, or what position you have or what car you drive. Listen, that isn't your true value. Your true value is your, your place in the body of Christ. Your great worth is based on your birth in Jesus Christ, your new birth in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is really telling us how to achieve unity as a team in the body of Christ. And it's when we are completely focused on the mission. We achieve our mission. When we achieve our mission, then there's no division. In fact, we, we achieve unity when we're focused on the mission. And, and honestly, there's no time for division. There's no time to be, to be fighting about the wall color and, and, you know, what happened in the nursery and, and, and who took your parking spot in the parking lot at church. And, and, you know, there was no more coffee when I got here and there were only donut holes left. And all of that stuff goes out the window when you are just like, Hey, what's our mission? So what's our mission here at New Life? Our mission is to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Our, our mission, we, we haven't had, we, we haven't hit, uh, we, have, we haven't tried to hide our mission. Our mission is all about reaching people with the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And, and I will tell you this, that, that it is not about religion. It is not about what we are trying to do in our own effort. It is about pointing people to Jesus and what he can do in our lives. And so Paul kept saying this over and over to every letter. He said this to the church at Philippi. 
uh, to his letter to them. He said, only let your conversation be, your lifestyle become as the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or be absent, that I may hear of your affairs and stand fast in one spirit. Okay, one spirit. That didn't mean, that doesn't mean that everyone had a good attitude all the time. It was meaning that their attitude was tied to their spirit to, to, to do what God had called them to do with one mind. That doesn't mean they were thinking the same thing. It means they were focused on the same mission, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he says, I planted another watered, but God gave the increase. I want to show you this picture because I think this is really helpful. The planting is the taking of seeds, the the taking of seeds and putting them in the ground. I I love this picture because it does not take uh, a a person with a PhD to plant. Even a child can plant. You can take these seeds and go across the street and, and bury them in the dirt. And hopefully they produce flowers or, or whatever you planted, fruit or, or vegetables, whatever you planted, it produces. So the word planting here or planted means to bury a seed or a seedling, to embed the roots in the ground, to establish a new plant in hopes, in hopes for growth. Even a child knows that when you plant something, the expectation should be that there's growth. But Paul was saying, when you plant, you have to plant by faith because you're not the one that gives the growth. But let me tell you something. You put these seeds in the ground and you don't water them, especially in Lancaster and Palmdale. They're not going anywhere. So it's pointless to plant without watering, but it's also pointless to water without planting. Both are necessary. Now, there's lots of different tasks in the body of Christ, but I want to tell you, it takes everyone and it takes every task. It takes everyone planting and watering, planting the seed here and watering. Hey, did you hear that? That was good. And hey, why don't you come to prayer? And why don't you help out here? And and, and encouraging one another, planting the seed of truth and watering it with the word and the Holy Spirit and, 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 and togetherness and fellowship. And man, I'm telling you, we need to plant, but we also need to water. The word watered, both, both the, the word plant and the word planted and watered. And let me just geek out here for about five seconds. There are different tenses in Greek and a lot more tenses than you know, past, present, and future in English. A lot more complexities, a lot more uh, different angles of, the, of that language, just like Spanish has far more articles than, than a and the in English. But, but they have different tenses, several different tenses. And one of the tenses is the aorist tense. The aorist tense is a snapshot. So, so just as we took a picture of someone watering, a, a kid watering something that's been planted, he, he's not currently watering right now. This is just a snapshot of what happened. You're talking about, hey, this happened, okay? So we, we are looking in, we're kind of peering into what has already happened. So that's the planted and the watered, it's already happened, okay? The reason why that's so important is because the Bible talks a lot about sowing and reaping. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 6, the context is giving here, but it applies to many different areas of life. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So you reap in concordance and to the level that you sow. We, we get that. We understand that. But I think many Christians focus less on their sowing and watering and more on the harvest. So I would encourage you 
to focus more on sowing and watering than growing and expanding because the growing and expanding is up to God. And a lot of Christians, listen, our church wants to, uh, wants to expand and, and do whatever God wants. But, but listen, we can't focus necessarily on, hey, we're going to grow like this and this is what we're going to, we really have to trust God. It's a matter of faith. And so all we can do is sow and we can water and we can let God give the increase. A great example of this is when he says God gives the increase, the word is, the word increase is present, but it's continual. It's present and future. It's, it is saying not heiress snapshot, but it is saying God is currently giving the increase and God will continue to give the increase. Well, what's the increase? The increase is, is the Greek word oxano and it, and it's to make grow, to produce maturity, to cause progress, to initiate the expansion, to surge until it's fully grown, to maximize success. God's doing that. I don't maximize my own success. You, you're not here in church so that you maximize your success. I hope you're here because you want God's grace to bring the success that only he can bring. Now, one of the greatest examples of this, and you, you might have seen this before, is a little plant that grows mostly in Asia, and it grows at a rapid rate. Let's watch this. another forest inhabitant. This one is particularly astounding in its vigor. The tree you're watching grows at up to a meter one, a day. A meter a day, thirty-five inches a day. Twenty-four hours, thirty-five inches. That's that's pretty big. An hour, it grows sometimes two inches an hour, an inch and a half to two inches an hour. Of course, the tree we're talking about is the bamboo tree. But there's something interesting about this massive bamboo tree is the bamboo tree, when you plant it, if you were to take bamboo seeds or a little seedling and you were to place it in the ground with a perfect environment, the perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect amount of water, I will tell you this, you're not going to see any increase the first three years. Bamboo does not grow. It's, it's dormant. You don't see anything happening for the first three years or more. But there's something that happens once that seedling has taken root, once those roots have started to sprout, and once everything has happened under the surface, all of a sudden, in a 60-day period, that thing grows. And obviously, that was a time lapse that we were watching. You know, they're, they're not just like, you know, pushing people out of the way. It's, it's, it, it's happening. But it's happening very rapidly. I mean, if you had a plant in your house that was growing, you know, you know an, inch, an inch an hour, you'd be like, what's going, what's, what's going, what's going on with that? So, so the point is that God is the grower. He's the one that can give the increase. And when we talk about his, him giving the increase, we are talking about grace. Everyone say grace. Grace is not just undeserved favor. It's the divine enablement. So let's talk about it. So number one, our mission, it brings unity. Number two, our motivation is from grace. It's from grace. He says, for we are laborers together with God. Well, that's, that's a moment of grace. The word together is synergios. It's where we get the word synergy. To be a fellow worker, to be a co-laborer, to be in a like-minded companion, companion to, to, to partner with God and 
Then he says, you are God's husbandry. We don't use that word very much. We would use the word field. But this is the word for cultivated land, land that has been broken up, land that's ready to yield a harvest to produce fruit. I think it's important for us to remember that we are not the farmer. God is the farmer. We're the farm. We are the land. We are the garden. He is the gardener. And so listen, he's the field or we're the field. He's the farmer. We need to allow God's grace to do a work in us, to produce a harvest, to bring growth. I believe a lot of us put limitations on what God can do through his grace because it's easier for us to live in our own power. It's easier for us to live maybe a legalistic life that's, that's just born out of what we can do. Uh, it's easier for us to have control. It's easier for us to, to, to live a life that's, that, that's really in, in our own means, with our own resources, with our, in our own power. But God is wanting us to grow beyond that. And a great, great symbol of this is someone took a video or a picture of a tree growing in a very unusual spot. I think this was over in the Middle East, but this is a stop sign uh, right by a major street. And out of the stop sign is growing a tree. Somehow that tree got down, that some roots got sprung down underneath the concrete and, 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 and had enough nutrients to grow through the middle of that sign and to grow out the top of that sign. I think why that's such a good symbol of grace is the fact that God can do something in your life where no one else says he can do it. And no one else says, hey, it's during a a, a difficult time in your life. You're not going to grow. You're not going to go beyond this. You're not going to have God's comfort. Listen, I've had lots of people say, oh, is it hard to to do a season of generosity during, you know, record uh, inflation and all of this? I want to tell you where everyone says, stop, God can say, grow. God can say, hey, I can do something in you and through you when everyone else is looking around you saying, that's not going to work. God can do something in you, and it's called the work of grace. So no one understood grace more than the Apostle Paul. If you don't remember his story, he started by killing Christians for what they believed. He started by telling everyone they were crazy for believing that Jesus was the Son of God. And God, God saved him, and he went from saving Christians to making disciples, to bringing other people into the fold. And, and he says this, I am the least of the apostles, people who met Jesus. That's what he's talking about with that. And he says, for I am, <clears throat> I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So he's saying, listen, anything good you see in me, anything that you see growing in me, out through me, anything good is from God's grace. I love how this quote says it. In God's garden of grace, even a broken tree can bear fruit. A lot of people say, well, God could never use me. If God could use the apostle Paul, he can use you. You say, well, you know, you don't know my broken past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. I, I just want you to know I don't, but I know the grace of God. No one is without the reach of God's good grace. So the word grace is the word charis. It's undeserved favor, but it's, 
It's more than that. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a gift of a divine work. And after you have received God's grace at salvation, after you've received the undeserved payment for your sin, then there's a moment where you now need God's grace as a divine enablement. And that's what grace means. It, it's the internal enablement and the supernatural empowerment uh, that comes from within. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you might through his poverty become rich. You see, Paul was pointing to the fact that God's grace is, brings riches and brings a wealth and a value and an abundance that's far greater than what we could bring in our own life. And he continues that thought, and this is in the context of giving, but he says in chapter 9, the next chapter over in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God wants to do a good work through you, but it's not because you are enough or it's not because uh, someone guilted you into it or it's not because if you don't, you're fearful of something. No, it's the work of grace that's leading you to what God wants you to do. And specifically to the church at Corinth in the second letter, what I was just reading, he was saying, listen, if you give in this offering that they were about to take, this moment of generosity, he was saying, listen, you're not doing it because of fear of what if you don't. You're not doing it because of guilt uh, for, for, for fear of what you've done in the past or, or, or shame of what you've done in the past. No, you're doing it out of grace. You're saying, God, you have done so much for me. You've given me this work of grace. And now I'm going to let the work of grace bring me to this moment of generosity. And so God is building something through his grace. He's building you and I and his work through grace. The word building here is an interesting word because it's talking about both the structure and the process. Uh, the structure is something that we want to build. We, we're, we're looking forward to building a building. We're looking forward to building out on the property. We showed you a picture of, or, or rendering of, hey, this is what we want to build. And, and over the next few weeks, we'll show you more and more detail and talk about it. We have a video coming out uh, next week that will talk about, hey, this is what it's going to look like. And here's, here's what we're doing. And here's what we're planning. And here's what it's going to include. And we're excited about all that. Uh, but those are the plans. What it will actually happen is they will take those, those blueprints, those plans that have been drawn and that the architects, the architecton is, is the, is the Greek word, the person who is, who is designed them and thought through them and, and, and measured them all out. And they will start brick by brick and piece of metal by piece of metal. They will start to put it together. And one of the designers sent me this video and it was a, another church here in California that was, uh, that was being constructed and they first laid the foundation and then they, then they started putting it together. These guys are not putting steel just wherever they please. They're not just saying, oh, yeah, it'll fit there. Let's put that one over there. They're not flying by the seat of their pants. They are following a plan. They're putting block by block uh, down first and all the way around. And then they're putting the structure together and it's fitly joined together. And so our, our mission is what drives us forward, but our motivation is what keeps us going. And as a team, we will lose steam as a team if we are not motivated and if we are not driven by a work of grace. Let me encourage you. Last week, we talked about tithing. Tithing is not something we do out of constraint. Tithing is something that we do as a work of grace. God has given us 
And he says, hey, trust me with 10 and watch what I do. Uh, allow me to do a work of grace. The motivation isn't just because it's in the Old Testament, just because Jesus says it in the New Testament. No, the motivation is, is not just it's said to, it's not just duty. It's, hey, I get to do this. I, I, I am able to labor with God, to partner with him, to further his mission. And the motivation is grace. Number three, I want you to see not not just the mission and the motivation, but I want you to see the mindset. Now, this is the most important part because the mindset that we have determines our perspective and determines everything that we are moving forward toward. If our mindset's off, honestly, everything else kind of falls apart. And the mindset in verse 12 through 15 is obviously the mindset based on eternity. And that's what we want as a church is we want to have the mindset of eternity. We don't just want to live for the here and now want to have a mindset for what is to come. I want you to read these verses, and these are misunderstood. In fact, the last time we spoke about these, there may have been a little, a few things that I'll correct in a minute. But in verse 12, it says, Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, these aren't talking about jewels, but they're, 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 they're costly stones that were cut and laid upon the foundation, wood, hay, and stubble then would be placed upon that as the structure above that rock wall. Every man's work shall be made manifest and day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. So this is obviously talking about the judgment day. This is spoken directly to Christians. This is not talking about the great white throne judgment where those who've rejected Christ will receive what they have, what, what they want. And that is separation from God for eternity. But this is, this is something for Christians. This is a, this is a day of accountability for Christians. And he says, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If every man's work shall abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so by fire, meaning you're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your reward. Now, I may have alluded to the fact, uh, we, we cover this exact same passage almost five years to the day, and, and I think in that message, I alluded to the fact that, that this judgment would bring tears to our eyes, but the eyes, our eyes would be wiped away. And, and I, I think I alluded to the fact that it was, it was the sin that we had done, that, 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 you know, the wrong things we had done. And I want to tell you that that's not what this passage is talking about at all. I want you to make sure that you have your theology strong here, that when we stand before God, the righteousness of Jesus covers us completely. My life verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21 because it says he, God, made him, Jesus, sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Meaning, listen, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sin is completely covered. God looks down on you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus, the blood of Jesus covered. And by the way, when Jesus said it is finished, religion tries to say, yeah, but but I want to tell you something. When he says the payment is finished, there is nothing you have to do to receive that gift of grace. That's why it's called grace. It's undeserved. And so Jesus gives us the free gift of salvation and forgiveness. And when we stand before God, we are not giving account for our sins because none of us could. Jesus has already done that. We are giving account for our service. It's not about our sin. It's about our service. So I want you to look at this passage again and realize that God is calling us 
to reckon our service, to take an account, to take an inventory of our service. Why do we serve? What are we doing it for? Well, we're, we're doing it because we were and are created for his good pleasure. And we will, we will throw every crown and every reward that we have at Jesus' feet as the four and 20 elders did. Uh, when, when they, when they got to heaven, they, they, in Revelation 4.10, it says that they, they, they worshiped him. And he says, well, worship him that liveth forever and ever. They cast, cast their crowns before the throne. So I want you to know that God is going to give you a moment of accountability when you stand before him. And it's an accountability for your service, for what you've done with the time, talent, and treasure that you've been given. And so as a pastor, I, would, I just want, I think that's a really important thing for you to know that that day of accountability is coming. Now, now listen, this isn't a moment of fear, Okay. Don't, in this moment, don't be afraid of failing. Be terrified of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter for eternity. Like, like we should not be afraid of this moment of accountability. That's, that's just God being just and, and, and God allowing us to, to, to be rewarded for the things that we have done, not for us, but for his kingdom. But all of us have the moment to invest into eternity with what God has given us. That's why Paul said, if you be risen in Christ, so if you're, if you're Christ, if you're his, uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian, uh, meaning you've received Christ as your savior, well then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things of earth. Listen, don't, don't be so focused on the things of earth because if you're so focused on the things of earth, you'll actually lose sight of eternity and worse, you'll be afraid of eternity. Now, when I was a kid, I think I was 11 or 12, I, I was shown a movie and it was called The Thief in the Night. And it was a freaky movie. I mean, it was just, and it had a lot of weird things. I mean, even the cover looks weird. It's like, what is that, you know? And there will be no place to hide. I mean, it was like, it was, it was crazy. And I mean, I remember, I remember reading that. And I think it was a few days later where I, I, I thought it would be funny to, to, to kind of play a joke on my sister and some of her friends. They were having a, a sleepover and I, I went upstairs to where they were and I put my trombone right into their room and I blew the, blew the horn. And man, they thought, here it is, here it is. It, there's no place to hide. And I, I want to tell you that created a lot of fear in me. I was afraid of eternity. I want you to know that there's only one way not to be afraid of eternity, and that's to invest into eternity. All of us have an opportunity to invest in eternity, but all of us have to ask ourselves, am I willing to let go of what is now? The time, the talents that I have, whatever God has given me, to let go of that in order to receive greater reward later. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2, he said that there's a group of people called the Pharisees and they're so into how they feel and what they look like and what they're giving and what they're doing and how they're serving that they are, they are in it for people's praise. They're all about the people, just like the church at Corinth. They're, they were all about what other people were saying and doing. But he said, don't be like them. Don't, don't be for the here and now. In fact, in verse two, he says, they have their reward. They have their reward. Their reward is just whatever people say about whatever good they did here. They're not doing it for me. They're doing it for them. And so they have their reward. So then later on in verse 19, he tells us, 
He tells us how to lay up rewards in eternity. And he says this, he says, lay up, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. That doesn't mean you don't plan. That doesn't mean you don't save, but it, it means that you are focused on something greater than that. That where moth and rust are corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. No, lay up treasures, lay, for, lay up for yourselves, for yourselves, by the way, lay up for yourselves rewards or treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me tell you something about a church that never talks about money because many people would be like, yes, sign me up for that church. Here's the reality. The reason why Jesus talked so much about money, it wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't like Jesus needed your money. I mean, he took money out of fishes, I mean, out of the, out of the fish mouth. I mean, come on. God can, can produce money however he wants. The reason why Jesus talked so much about it, and the reason why we spend some weeks in the spring every year talking about this is because it's where your heart is. You cannot shift your heart without a moment of generosity where you're shifting your focus from the here and now to what God wants you to do for eternity. And so he says, listen, focus on this. Wherever your mind is, wherever your heart is, man, that, 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 that's where you need to focus. Listen, a lot of people say, well, uh, money doesn't have me, but they won't give any. And so the point is this. Listen, God has given us this moment. And you say, well, I've never given to a church. I give to charity and all of this. Listen, this is Christ's church. This is his plan. This is how he has wired it to work. We do everything we can at New Life. We do an audit every year and we have an awesome financial staff and we steward every dollar and we do everything with integrity and above board and accountability and all of that's really important. But I wanna tell you at the end of the day, it's more about you and God than you and your money. It's all about what is your God? What are you worshiping? What are you valuing? Many people are afraid of eternity because they have never invested into it. In fact, one of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn says this, he who lays up treasure in heaven looks forward to eternity. If you are terrified of eternity, maybe it's because you haven't been investing into eternity. And so as we partner with God to accomplish his mission, may our motivation be grace. And may our mindset be focused on eternity. Danielle and I, uh, several years ago, were given a, a gift, or a couple years ago, I, I forget exactly when, but we were given a gift, and, and it, was a, it was a very generous gift by someone not in our church. We were just someone who really just wanted to bless us. And it was one of those things, I don't know if you've ever received a gift, you were like, wow, that is that is so generous and it was, it was honestly in a very needful time. And we, we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to save this because we want to use it for a rainy day. We, I mean, if you've ever had a week where both of your dryer, you know, washer and dryer went out or something, I mean, it's just one of those weeks we want to save it for that. And so we, we, we put it aside. I put it in a really safe place and, and, uh, and we wanted to use that. And I went to that safe place and it wasn't there. And I started to look at other places and it wasn't there. And Danielle's like, well, what about this place? What about that place? And we were looking and that, we could not find that envelope, that envelope anywhere. I mean, we looked everywhere and we couldn't find it. And I'm sad to report to you today, we still haven't found it. Now, if you come over to my house, this is not a treasure hunt, okay? <laughs> we, I think it got thrown away. I think something happened. I don't know. We looked everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever lost something of great value and, and you couldn't find it, but 
it got to me. I mean, I would be laying in bed, not able to sleep, and I would think, maybe it fell down that crevice. And I would get up, and I'd look, and get back in bed, and finally, finally, we were like, we've got to let this go. We've got to let this go. It was so, it was so hard because we're like, well, if we look just a little bit harder and if we do just a little bit more, we'll find it and then we'll feel so much better. And we just couldn't find it. And it was so hard to let it go. I want to tell you that in life, it is so hard to let go the here and now. It is so hard to let go if I just get another raise and if I just get this car and if, 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 I, if I can retire with this amount, if I just do this and, and, and it's so hard to let that go. But I'm telling you, the greater life, the greater life is a life of grace that is filled with generosity to say, hey, at one day, I'm gonna let it all go. One day when I pass from this life to the next, I don't get to have anything. It's 100% that gets left behind. And so all of us need to make the choice. Are we going to adjust, invest in what little time we have here on this earth? If you're really fortunate, it's like 99 years. Or are we going to invest in eternity? And our minds cannot wrap our thoughts, our finite thoughts around what eternity is. But I want to tell you that I want to invest in something that will last forever. I want to invest in his kingdom. And I want to see God do great things as a result. God, I pray that you'd please help us as we live lives that are not focused on ourselves, but focused on your mission. May we be motivated not because a pastor got up and, and gave some illustrations and some scriptures, but Lord, may we be motivated by grace, by the fact that you have saved us, by the fact that you can do a work in us, you can provide for us far better than we could ever provide for ourselves. And Lord, may our mindset not be so focused on the temporal, the, the temporary, but Lord, may we be focused on what's next. God, you told us in your word, Ecclesiastes 3.11, Lord, that you have placed, you have set eternity in our heart. Every person, regardless of what they say, knows inherently that there is something after they die. There is eternity. And so Lord, I pray that we would not just live for this short breath of life. Lord, it's a vapor, but I pray that we would invest into the life that we have. Lord, the, the, the moment that we have, the moment we step in to your presence, Lord, may that moment of accountability be what we're living for. Lord, an accountability of our service of our giving, God, of, of all of the talents and the resources that you have entrusted to us. Lord, may we not hoard, but may we use them for the needs that you have around us. And Lord, most importantly, Lord, your kingdom needs, may they be met as we labor together with you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And maybe you're here and you heard about the gift of grace. Maybe, maybe you've heard about God, maybe you even believe in God, but I want to tell you, James told us that the devils believe in God and tremble. Believing in God is one thing, but believing that God sent Jesus to die and be risen again for your soul, for the salvation of your soul, that's different. Receiving him personally. You all are here physically because you were born physically, but Jesus said there must be a moment where you're born again, where there's a spiritual life 
that comes into existence. And that comes only through Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so no one can come to God through, but through Jesus. And we wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Now, prayer doesn't save you. But believing that Jesus has paid for your sins and he offers you forgiveness and eternal life, that's the moment where you turn from your sin and you turn to him. That's the moment when you trust in him alone that you can receive him as your savior. If you're in this room, and I, the reason why I want to give you this opportunity is because I don't want anyone to ever walk out of here and step into eternity not knowing Jesus as their Savior. And so if you're in this room, or maybe you're watching online or listening on the radio, and you have never received him as your Savior, I want you to do that right now. And it's something that only is a gift of grace, but it's by faith, it's trusting him where you receive him. And so just call out to him, say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You can say it out loud, you can say it in your head. He hears you. I know I'm a sinner. There's nothing I could ever do to pay for my sin. So I receive you now. Come into my life and be my savior. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you believed in your heart that God alone saves through Jesus's propitiation, that big word for substitute. He, he came in your place. He died in your place. If you trusted him and you received him now, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but if you're online and, and you've done this, man, I want you to let us know. Would you please text us? Our number's online. We would love to celebrate with you. If you're in this room, I'm not going to point you out, but I, I'd love to know who made that decision. Can I pray for you? Would you just put your hand up and put it right back down? I just prayed that prayer just now, and I'm not too ashamed to admit it. Just put it up. Put it right up. Thank you so much. Anyone else would join these hands who would say, I, I, I made that decision, and I'm not too proud to admit I made that decision today. I'm so glad I did. Put it up. Thank you so much. Thank you for all these hands. Many hands in the first service, many hands in this service. It just shows that God is working. God is working, and God is the one that gives us that gift of grace Friend, if you're here and you've already made that decision, we all have to make a decision right now. And that is, are we gonna live for the here and now or are we gonna live for eternity? Let's take, let's take a moment and pray and say, Lord, what, what would you have me to do to live a life that will last for eternity? Do you want me to, to begin giving? Do you want me to begin serving others? Uh, what, what do you want me to do? How do, how do you wanna use my talent? How do you wanna use the time that you've given to me? in this life. Let's take a moment and pray and then we'll be finished. Lord, as everyone quietly prays uh, in their seat, I pray that you would help us, um, Lord, not to be so filled with um, amazement by what this world has to offer that we miss uh, what you are, what you have waiting uh, Lord, in um, eternity. I pray that you would please, Lord, help us to live lives focused on the needs of those around us, Lord, not just focused on our own needs, not just focused on what we can do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'd please help us in this season of generosity, Lord, to step out by faith, step out of our comfort zone, Lord, to trust you, um, to do what only you can do through us. Lord, I pray that it would not just be about giving or being faithful, Lord, that's important, but I pray that it would be also, uh, Lord, a work of grace that would call us 
um, to live a life that's more like you. That, Lord, we would be more Christ-like as a result of this series where we are picturing, Lord, the vision and the teamwork you want us to have. Lord, I pray that you would do the work. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us. Help us not to uh, leave here unchanged. Thank you for those that made the decision to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.